0: I invite you to turn again with me in your copy of God's Word, uh, this time to the New Testament. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 8. You can find it on page 813 of the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you. Uh, We are preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. You may have thought we were just doing a Sermon on the Mount study. Sermon on the Mount is just a part of this uh, greater Gospel. And so we uh, press on and we turn to a very different approach and theme. Uh, I've noted before that Matthew's gospel is generally divided up between periods of teaching and periods of action or periods of narration. Matthew sort of puts together, clumps together these bodies of teaching, and then he sort of pairs those in between uh, with these narrative sections. And so for the next five or six weeks in chapters 8 and 9, we will see these narratives of what Jesus did. And then chapter 10, we'll go back. Uh, that's some of the things he taught. Now, of course, these two ideas overlap and we will see Jesus uh, teaching and speaking in chapters 8 and 9. But that's the general pattern of Matthew's gospel. We have before us this morning uh, three different stories or accounts of healing. And they are put together in the final verse. They tell us, Matthew tells us what he's directing our attention to. So would you follow along with me, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion said to Jesus, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that time. Very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Our Lord and our God, we come from different places to this text this morning. Some of us come healthy and happy and encouraged. Others of us come sick and lame and beaten down. I pray that every one of us would leave this place having seen The glory and the beauty and especially the power of your son and our Lord, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Lord, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. We live in a nation and a time period where we are blessed with a whole lot of doctors, aren't we? We have specialists on every corner. You go to any of your doctors and they can eagerly and gladly refer you to another doctor to fix uh, what ails you. And some of you have probably been on that circuit. You go to one doctor and you're referred to another doctor. And you're referred to a third doctor who just refers you back to your original doctor. And around and around the, merry, the merry-go-round, uh, you go. And we have wonderful specialists. But sometimes you face that problem or those mounting health problems and you can't get that one doctor to solve it, right? They all have to consult with someone else and check with someone else. And the medicine for this problem will affect how your medicine treats that other problem. And, And on and on it goes. And you just wonder to yourself, is there not just one doc out there that can fix it? Is there not one doctor with the power and the authority to take care of all That ails me. You see, of course, where I'm going in our text. We have three different sick people and we don't have three different specialists to heal. There are three different types of diseases, do we? We are shown here the Lord Jesus Christ in all his power who can heal every disease among us. And he heals us to bring us into his kingdom. What I want you to see in our three healing accounts this morning is that only Jesus heals the sin sick to bring us into his kingdom. Only Jesus heals the sin sick to bring us into his kingdom. You see, if you found every specialist to heal every one of your physical ailments, you would still have the worst ailment of all that remained to be healed. And that's what ails the soul. I want you to see in these verses how Jesus heals us. And I want you to see his power to heal. Because he has the power to heal not only the body, but also the soul. And that's the pattern we're going to follow this morning. We're going to read these verses the first time through to see that Jesus has the power to heal our bodies. Then we're going to come back and we're going to read them again. And we're going to see on second read that he has the power to heal more than our bodies. He has the power to heal our souls. So those are the two simple points this morning. Jesus has the power to heal, number one, our bodies, number two, our souls. So let's look first at what ails the body and see how Jesus has the power to heal. Three different ailments in three different accounts. The first in verses one to four, Jesus heals leprosy. If you're familiar uh, with leprosy, it's probably from reading your Bible. And throughout the New Testament accounts of healing, we read of leprosy over and over again. And so you probably know it is a term for some type of a skin disease or a number of different types of skin diseases. And one of the key parts about leprosy is how contagious it is, how easily and quickly it spreads. And so people were very careful about not getting too close to those who had leprosy. And they were supposed to stay away from healthy people to keep the disease from spreading. And so when this leper is introduced to Jesus after he comes down from the mountain, comes down from giving the sermon on the Mount, a leper comes to him, approaches him. And Matthew tells us he knelt before him And he asked Jesus if he would to make him clean. And verse 3 tells us, Matthew narrates the first thing Jesus does after the Sermon on the Mount. And it is incredible. The first action he takes is he touches an untouchable person. He reaches out and he touches a man with leprosy. Now before we even see the power of this touch, just consider for a moment this man and when might have been the last time that somebody touched him? We don't know how long he's had leprosy, but as long as he has had it, he probably has not been touched. He's not been given a quick hug right after church. He's not bumped into a friend at the grocery store and having a quick shaking their hand. He has not his hair tussled by a loving uncle, right? None of that. None of that touch that reminds us that we are humans, that we are needy and dependent people. He is not only emotionally lonely, but he has no memory, no recent memory of the last time he is touched. And Jesus, with abounding mercy and grace, touches the untouchable people. I remember uh, years ago I worked for a time in a Uh, A missionary health clinic. This was in the country of Honduras, and we would travel with this health clinic up into the remote villages and the jungles. And I'm not a health professional. I was along for the ride. Uh, I would set up the clinics. I would maybe count out some pills. I would just generally kind of run help for whatever the docs and the nurses needed. And we saw some people that hadn't seen doctors in decades. And we saw some crazy stuff that I thought you would only ever see in the pages of books. And sort of to my shame, I recoiled from a lot of it. (laughs) But there were these doctors and nurses, and they didn't blink. And these crazy cases would walk in their door, and they went immediately to them. And they would touch them, and they would hold those malfigured children. And they would love those seniors that maybe hadn't been touched in years. They were the hands and the feet of our Lord who reaches out and touches the untouchable. And you see what happens when Jesus touched this man, the end of verse 3, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. We don't really have leprosy today in the developed world. If a case popped up, we could pretty quickly treat it with I don't know how we treat it, but we would treat it pretty easily and pretty quickly, but not like this. Our best antibiotics, our best creams, whatever it is, it takes time. Only Jesus, only the power of Jesus with one moment, with one touch can heal this man plagued with leprosy. There's the first physical healing we see by the power of Jesus' touch. He goes on in his journey. He goes to Capernaum, sort of a home base for a while for him, in the northern part of the country up by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And there a centurion comes to him. And we see the second physical healing. Verses 5 to 13, Jesus heals paralysis. And a centurion comes to Jesus. And he is there on behalf of his servant, who is suffering terribly. We don't know much else about it, but he is lying paralyzed, probably from some sort of physical accident or incident he received in serving his master. And Jesus, in this moment, as he is disposed to to heal and care for those around him, he reassures the centurion, this leader of a Roman guard as part of the military. He reassures him that, yeah, in verse seven, I will come and heal him. You know, that's a future tense, He says, yeah, let me sort of take care of my business now. I'll take care of these people, and I will come to your house, and I will heal him. The centurion doesn't even want him to come to the house. He says, not not worthy of that. All you have to do is say the word. All you have to do is say it. Jesus, you don't need some magical touch. You have the, the, the power of your father in heaven, for you are indeed God himself, and you just can speak it. And it comes to pass. And he uses this military illustration. He says, I'm a soldier. People tell me what to do. And I go do it right away. And I tell people what to do. And they go do it right away. I'm sure those of you in the military would say it's not quite that smooth. But it's supposed to be. Or that's the illness. And it disappears. The centurion somehow believes this about Jesus. And do you note, verse 14, how Jesus responds? He marveled. Our Lord marveled at the faith of this man. We're going to come back in a moment to see what Jesus says to him, the lesson he takes from this about faith. But look at verse 13, the end of the account. And the centurion said to Jesus, and sorry, to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Y'all, they didn't have like text messages that the caregiver could say, hey, man, he got healed. Matthew had to go and piece this story back together to find out at that moment. And we don't even see that Jesus certainly didn't touch him. He doesn't really even say it. But he has the power to heal whoever he so wills. And then we get to the final healing, verses 14 and 15. This is sort of the least dramatic of the healings. He comes to Peter's house. Uh, Peter, uh, the the Peter we follow along on the pages of the Gospels. Turns out Peter's married. Uh, His mother-in-law in in his home is lying sick uh, with a fever. And Jesus, again, here goes back to the original healing method. Verse 15, he touched her hand. You know, it's interesting who he touches, isn't it? Because the... He doesn't really worry about touching the one who's paralyzed. That's not contagious. But leprosy and a fever, those are both contagious. And it's into both of those sick homes that Jesus goes and he touches. And we read very undramatically, but in a very conclusive way, the end of verse, I'm sorry, verse 15, and the fever left her. So what's going on? Jesus is going about His days and his ministry, and he's healing that which ails people. What he's really doing is he's driving away the the effects of the fall. He is driving away the ways in which humans suffer in a fallen world. If you think about this, backing up to all of Scripture, we know that in the Garden of Eden before the fall, there was no leprosy, there was no paralysis, there were no fevers. But because of the fall, because Adam and Eve sinned against God, are cast out of the garden, away from the very presence of God in that fallen world, a world of thorns and thistles and ashes and dust. It's a world of leprosy and paralysis and fever. And Jesus alone has the power to drive away the effects of the fall. We fast forward to the end of the Bible we read in Revelation, Jesus says, "Behold, I am making all things new. He is renewing that which is plagued and afflicted and disfigured by the effects of the fall. Jesus alone has the power to drive that out. and if you think about it, it means that he has the power over creation. The parallels here go all the way back to God 's creative power in creation. Only Jesus can renew and restore a fallen created world. Do you note who notices this too? It's great. It's like the weakest among him, the least among them are the ones who see Jesus the most clearly for who he is. The leper says to Jesus, you can make me clean. The centurion says to Jesus, you only have to say the word. We spent 12 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about the authority and the power of Jesus. It's about him solely ruling and reigning as king and his kingdom is not expressed merely physically and outward, it is primarily expressed inwardly. And now, paralleling the authoritative power of Jesus' teaching is the authority and power of his healing. We'll go on in, throughout this section of 8 and 9 to heal and care for others. Here we run into one of the tensions of faith in the Christian life. And that is that Jesus calls us to believe that he can heal, but also to trust that he will heal according to his own will. Back at verse 2, do you notice what the man with leprosy said? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. What would keep the man plagued by leprosy is not the inability of Jesus. It is the will of Jesus. You see the tension there, don't you? It would be somewhat easier for us to believe, well, Jesus wishes he could heal me, but he can't. So I'll let him off the hook. As opposed to saying, no, I know he can. I know he can do it right now. I know that those of you whose backs are hurting this morning, he could snap his fingers and you'd be healed right away. Those of you who know that as soon as you leave here, you've got to take three, four, five pills because of what ails you, he could fix that in a heartbeat right now. And that he calls his followers to believe that, to hold that faith in Jesus deeply and simply as a child, while also believing that it is only according to his will. So I call you this morning, children of God, to something very, very hard. I want you to suffer that which physically ails you with the hope that your God can heal you. Because he tells us to pray to him to heal us, doesn't he? He tells us to come to him because he is the great physician. He instructs the church in James to lay hands on those who are physically sick, that they might be healed. And we pray that prayer for healing with the same faith that we hold on with patience to a God whose will for our healing might not be until the return of Jesus. But we know that every one of us will be healed now or later in this time or the next. And so we suffer with the hope of healing. Because look, Look at the final verse. Look what all of this healing points to in verse 17. Actually, verse 16. The healings aren't done yet. Matthew tells us in verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. Uh, We wonder here if they waited until evening. Maybe they were waiting for the end of the Sabbath until they brought all these folks to him to be healed. It's unclear why they had to wait until night. But Jesus does all of this healing in order to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet, The final verse here refers back to Isaiah 53, verse 4, where we read that Jesus took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So there's a physical healing. There's lots of physical healing. Even in that verse 16, he healed all who were sick. But there's something else going on, isn't there? Because it's not only the physical sick he's healing. Do you see he's also healing the spiritually sick? He cast out those who are afflicted with demons that fulfills Isaiah 53 as well so we need to go back and see is there something else going on here is there something more going on say that lightly as if it's nothing for him to heal our physical bodies but read with me once again these three accounts but this time let's look to see how Jesus heals our souls because do you notice what's missing in these verses No one's name is ever given. None of these people are ever given a name. What we know about them, the first thing we know about these people is their societal status today. So not only does Jesus heal leprosy and paralysis and fever, no, he heals a leper and he heals a Gentile and he heals a woman. Look at them again. First in verses 1 to 4 Jesus heals a leper. We've already seen that leprosy affects, afflicts us physically from the outside. But I want you to read this verse from Leviticus. If you want to read more about leprosy, go to Leviticus 13 and 14. It's endless, writing about leprosy. But I just want to read a couple of verses. Who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The nightmare for the leper is not what's going on with his skin. It's that he's outside the camp. She lives alone. And wherever they go, they have to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people run from them. You imagine the daily life of a leper. The faith that took this man to come through the crowd and kneel at the feet of Jesus and that Jesus touches him. You know what happens when you touch someone with leprosy? Not only will you might get the physical disease, you are transferred to you is the uncleanness of the leper. So Jesus, by touching him, should be made spiritually unclean, ceremonially unclean. But what happens Instead of the disease flowing to Jesus, holiness and life and healing flows from Jesus to the leper. So not only is he physically healed, he is now ceremonially and spiritually clean. Instruction at verse 4, where he says, Go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. If you want to go read what that means, go to Leviticus 14 this afternoon. You see, there's two steps for a leper to be healed. The first step is the physical healing, but the leper is not called clean until the priest signs off that he has been spiritually and ceremonially cleansed. But what does Jesus say? He doesn't say you're healed. He says you're clean because Jesus has the power to heal not only our bodies, but our souls. He makes the outcast unclean leper healed so that he can now go into the temple worship with the people of God and is welcomed fully in the kingdom of Jesus you see how that one physical healing points us to the deeper spiritual healing of the man that's not the only one the second account here of a spiritual healing comes with the Gentile in verses five to thirteen Here we encounter somebody else who is on the outside of the Jewish faith. The real reason the Gentile, the the centurion, didn't want Jesus to come into his home is because he knew that for a Jew to come into the home of a Gentile would make the Jewish man unclean. So he couldn't come in. So he was sort of saving face for Jesus, saying, I know you can't come to my house, but I know you can at least heal him from where you are. The servant is healed, do you notice that? The servant is healed, but it's the Gentile who is given access into the kingdom of God. It is the Gentile to whom it is said, many will come and recline at table in the kingdom of heaven. The contrast here is between faith and unbelief. The centurion shows faith, and so Jesus paves a way even for an unclean Gentile, through faith in him, to come into his everlasting kingdom. The final healing that Jesus performs is with the woman, with Peter's mother-in-law, verses 14 and 15. She doesn't have something that keeps her away from Jesus, but we do know that in Jesus' day, women did not have equal status or access. We read about the temple mount and we read about the courts and the the way in which the people of God would come to access the holy place of God. And we read there's an outer court. It's called the Gentile court. And that means the Gentiles can't go any further than this little barrier around the external walls of the temple. They have to stay out there. Gentiles and unclean Jewish men and women, which might probably include this leper. So the Gentile and the leper couldn't go past This outermost court for the Gentiles, the Gentile court. Women, Jewish women who were clean could pass deeper into the heart of the temple complex, but even they had to stop because there was another inner court called the court of the women. And women cannot go any further into the temple than the court of the women. So we see all three of these people are standing as symbols or representatives of outsiders, What happens to the woman when she's clean? Well, she rises up and she begins to serve Jesus. She doesn't have to go to the temple complex to serve her God. Here he is in her home and she serves him. Each physical healing signifies a deeper spiritual healing. And here's what that spiritual healing is. Outsiders are brought into the kingdom of God. Each and every time an outsider is brought in by the healing power of Jesus. I believe this fulfills what the psalmist wrote of in Psalm 147. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He's down from the mountain. And what does he do? He goes to outcast after outcast after outcast. And he makes a way for them to come and join at his table and join in his kingdom. And so at the end of this second read through our section, we come again to verse 17. We come again to Isaiah 53 verse 4. And we see that the fulfillment here isn't only physical healing. It's so much more than that, isn't it? I mean, you know, Isaiah 53, some of you have memorized it. verse 4 reads like this. Surely he has borne not our illnesses, but our griefs and carried away not our deaths. Matthew's not messing with Isaiah when he brings it over. It's just a sort of a different way to look at the translation of those words. Peter, same Peter who probably saw this, picks up this same idea when he writes his letter. First Peter chapter two, verse 24, Peter writes this. He, Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and continue with the Isaiah theme. Peter writes, by his wounds, you have been healed. What we see here is only possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That Jesus bears the guilt of a sin sick people in order to heal us and bring us into this kingdom. You see, when Jesus touched that leper, we know he didn't get leprosy on the spot and he wasn't declared unclean on the spot, but he suffered as a leper. Because when Jesus died, do you remember where he died? Outside of the camp. He's taken outside of his own people. He makes outsiders insider as the greatest insider goes to become an outsider. And here's the point of all of this. The point of all of this is that Jesus includes sin sick people in his kingdom. And this beautiful line in verse 11, he tells us that we will recline at table. What a beautiful picture of not only sharing a meal together, of intimacy, reclining at table in his kingdom. And who comes to that table? Many people many from the east, many from the west. This is referencing the inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. And where do they go? They're at the table with the patriarchs, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? They're not put at the kid's table like at Thanksgiving dinner, right? No, they're brought up. They're at the same feast table of the king. They don't kick out the Old Testament patriarchs. They're brought together. They're not over below one another. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one people of God. The lowliest of the Gentiles feasts with Father Abraham forever and ever. But as Jesus marvels at this, he does offer a warning. Because not everyone's going to be at that table. He says in verse 12, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Sons of the kingdom is a phrase we see him use elsewhere, and it refers to national Israel, refers to those who are nationally and ethnically and by their lineage part of the people of God, but they don't believe. This is a parallel of Jesus, what he said last week in chapter 7, verse 23. when He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. The sons of the kingdom are those who look like the people of God from the outside, but they have no faith. And the place that Jesus casts them into is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, it's not about being physically clean or unclean. It's not about being an ethnic Jew or an ethnic Gentile. It's not about being a man or being a woman. The difference here is faith. Verse 10, he marveled that he had found such faith. The end of his sentence in verse 13, you have believed. Same word. (laughs) They're not resting, counting on any. Physical standing, but only believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they might be welcomed into his kingdom forever and ever. You see, Jesus is driving away the effects of the fall. And those effects certainly are physical, but they're also spiritual. Do you see what he drives away? He drives away skin disease, he drives away paralysis, he drives away fever. He drives away heart disease, he drives away cancer, he drives away dementia, he drives away back pain and aging and hair loss, he drives away infertility and miscarriages and stillbirth. He drives away all that plagues us in a sin-sick world outside of the garden, away from the presence of God because Matthew announces that Jesus has come. The kingdom has broken in. And by his death, he bears our sin. And by his resurrection, he defeats death itself and he rolls back the curse. So his blood makes us clean and cleansed Men and women and children, we enter his kingdom to feast at his table. Our sin keeps us out. His grace brings us in. In a sin sick world, there's only one doctor you need. Trust our Lord to cleanse you and welcome you at his feast table. For this he promises he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a sin-sick world, a world in which we will leave this place and have doctor's appointments this week and surgeries planned and rehab visits and on and on. Some of us may even be visiting a graveside this very week. And so, Lord, we fight to believe that you have the power not only over that which ails our bodies, but that which ails our souls. And we rejoice, O God, you have paved the way by your death and resurrection to welcome us into your everlasting table and into your kingdom where we feast forever and ever. Lord, grant us the faith to believe, to believe like that centurion, to believe like that leper, to believe like Peter's mother-in-law, to trust you, O God, as the man, as the one, as God who takes our illnesses and bears our diseases. In your name we ask all of these things. Amen.